chapter 2, verses 1 through to 12. Mark, chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Good evening. Where there's smoke, there's fire. Don't know if you've heard that saying, it's an old saying. Where there's smoke, there's fire. Now that's a saying that's going to be very helpful for us to think about that passage that was just read for us by Chloe, to think about what Jesus is saying about himself and about us in this part of Mark's Gospel as we continue our series, Jesus, Watch, Listen, Follow. This series in Mark's Gospel, as we look at that story and try to understand it, when you think about that saying, where there's smoke, there's fire. Because you see, smoke is always a sign isn't it, that there's some deeper problem. Whether it's the smoke going up from another ISIS bombing target, whether it's the smoke going up from some bushfire burning today in our nation, whether it's the smoke going up from a factory just up the road in Brisbane, where there's smoke, there's fire. Smoke is a sign that there's something wrong. Smoke is a sign that it's time to take action. And what's the action that's needed when you see the smoke? Who do you need to show up when there's the smoke? It's not a smoke fighter, is it? We don't call them smoke fighters. Because where there's smoke, there's fire. And what you need is not a smoke fighter, but a firefighter. And firefighters for us, they're heroes, aren't they? And so they should be. Because they come to rescue us from the real problem. Now, friends... The Bible, the story of the Bible is about a world on fire. This entire world and all of us. Going all the way back to Adam and Eve and their rebellion against God, this world has had a deep problem. It's on fire. We need rescue. And the story of the Bible is about God's promise that there will be an ultimate firefighter to put out this fire in our lives an ultimate rescuer. And it's what Mark calls 
the Messiah. Remember in the very first verse, we saw it last week if you were here, that Jesus is the rescuer, this ultimate firefighter. He is the Messiah, the one who's come to rescue us. And so in this passage, we start to see more about what it, need, what it means for him to be the rescuer, what we need rescuing from, that Jesus hasn't just come to deal with the smoke. He really has come to deal with the fire, the real problem. See this man, Rapha, before he was jumping around like this and getting all excited and telling his lame jokes and talking about he's off to, what was it, I don't know, Zumba and hot yoga and he's shopping at Foot Locker and all that stuff. Before he gets to all of that, when he's actually lying down on a mat, what was Jesus' assessment? What was Jesus' diagnosis of this man's problem? Everyone else thought that because his legs didn't work, that he's like the not walking dead, the living dead. But in what Jesus says about him and about us, it turns out that we're all the living dead. That is if you're watching closely to what Jesus is doing here. Are you? I want to invite you, please, to watch really closely this story and this scene in a house to learn what Jesus is saying, not just about that man, but about all of us. Now, you heard the story. There's Jesus. He's entered his hometown, Capernaum, and there's this massive crowd gathering. They're gathering in massive numbers to see Jesus. You see, word is spreading. At the end of chapter 1 that we sort of skipped over from last week, Jesus has already done some amazing miracles. Mark's favorite word is immediately. Everything happens really fast. Jesus calls people to follow him and immediately they leave everything and follow. Jesus touches a man with leprosy and immediately the leprosy leaves him. And this show of power, nothing it seems Jesus can't do and word is spreading. And so... The crowds are gathering, this massive crowd around this house and in this house as Jesus preaches the word. And what's he preaching? We'll come back to that. The picture, the scene. This house, we learnt in the video, probably Peter's house, one of the first disciples. Certainly, it's a packed house. It's absolutely packed to the rafters. Inside, people outside, There are people everywhere around this house. But now we focus in, as the story goes on, on a group of men. And out of this big group, we focus on five, four of them who are carrying something, and that something is the fifth. It's a man, because he's on the mat, this paralysed man, being carried by four of his friends. They can't even get into the house because the crowd is so massive. But they're innovative, and they're determined. And so, you heard it. They make an opening in the roof and they lower Jesus, they they lower this man down to Jesus. It's a roof breaking kind of moment. Last week we talked about Jesus coming to do something groundbreaking and earth shattering and life changing. This is now the roof breaking moment and here's this man lowered through the roof and it's all eyes on. I want you to imagine you're there. Can you do that? Can you imagine you're in this house? You got there early, you got front row seats, and you're thinking, wow, I am sitting in the front row to what is going to be one spectacular miracle. Picture it. Now, you're in this house. Expectation is building. Jesus is teaching, and you're thinking, what's going to happen here? And then you're just vaguely aware of some dirt falling on your head and some light starting to break through the roof. And Peter gets this free skylight and next thing this guy is lowered down 
and he's in front of you. What do you think is going to happen? Are you imagining? Are you there? Okay, now I'm going to stretch your imagination. I want you to go a step further now. I don't want you to just watch this guy on the mat. I want you to be him, okay? I want you to be the person lying there looking up at Jesus. What do you want him to do for you? What's the biggest need in your life? What do you want him to fix? If you could complete the sentence, Jesus, I know you're powerful. Can you please fix for me? What is it? See, for him, it's his legs. And everyone knows, well, that's what he's here for. Fix the legs. What is it for you as you look, look up at Jesus? Seriously, as we think about this idea of Jesus being the groundbreaking, earth-shattering, life-changing, rescuer, Messiah, what's he come to do? And what do you want him to do for you? I mean, honestly, as you look up at him, Jesus, if you could just fix this for me, then my life would be okay. What is it for you, seriously, as you look up at Jesus? As you think about it tonight, as you sit here, what would you really love him to just sort for you, honestly? For some of us, it is a health issue. Just like this guy with his legs, there's some part of our body or our whole body that's not working the way it should. If you could just fix my health, please, Jesus, would you do that for me? Then my life would be a whole lot better. Would you do that? See, there's lots of ways to be paralysed. Lots of ways to be crippled. For some of us, we're actually feeling crippled about our financial situation. That's what's paralysing us. And that's what we would look up at Jesus and say, seriously, can you sort this? Maybe the savings aren't growing the way you hoped or the investments are tanking in a way that you only feared they would. Maybe just where your mind wanders to is the financial situation and you're saying, Jesus, would you sort that out for me? There's lots of ways to be paralysed, lots of ways to be crippled. And so, for a lot of us, it's addiction of some sort. Would you set me free, Jesus? This can be a mild addiction, caffeine, Facebook. Are you serious? It can be serious addictions. It can be the cigarettes. It can be alcohol, drugs, gambling, pornography. Addictions, you see, that are not just dangerous and damaging to ourselves, but to others. It can be an addiction to just a particular way of relating to people that you just seem to default to, that you can't seem to change, the way you default to pride or to anger or to greed. And you'd look up at Jesus and you'd say, can you do something about this? Look at me, I'm paralysed. Would you set me free? Lots of ways to be paralysed, crippled, trapped. For some of us, it's a sense of being trapped in a relationship that you'd like to be out of or trapped because you're not in a relationship that you'd like to be in. Trapped in relationships because of the way you feel others keep treating you. Or trapped in relationships because of the guilt you feel about the way you keep treating others. There's so many things, aren't there? And I could go on. And the reality is for each of us, there's probably a whole mix of some of the things I've covered there that we would look up at Jesus and say, could you sort this for me? That would be terrific. And I wonder if you're prepared for the possibility that all that stuff as painful as it is, as serious as it is, it's actually the smoke. Symptoms, you see, of this world on fire and our lives on fire. Are you open to the possibility that Jesus has come to do something about this whole world, you and me as part of it, and that he's going to challenge that the stuff that we think we most need fixing, in fact, it's the smoke and it's not the fire. Follow the story. See what Jesus says. 
See, Jesus sees the faith of these friends that they love this guy and they've gone to this extreme lengths. They, he sees their faith. He sees this man. And it's all eyes on and the expectations building, what's about to happen. And he says to the paralyzed man, he says, son, your legs... It's not what he says, your legs. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. Now remember, put yourself back in the house. You're watching the whole thing. Jesus, you know, all the rooms are spread about all the power he's got, the miracles, the healings and everything. And now this man is lowered through the roof and you think, I know what's going to happen here. And there's this paralyzed man lying on a mat and Jesus looks at him and says, son, your sins are forgiven. He looks up, and everyone's sort of looking. I picture it going very quiet. You can hear the crickets outside. Because everyone thought they knew what was going to happen next. And the guy's still lying there. Son, your sins are forgiven. Picture it. Son, your sins are forgiven? What? Jesus isn't very good at this sort of... Messiah business. He doesn't seem to understand what this guy needs. You can imagine maybe one of the disciples prompting Jesus, the legs. See, he can't walk. You know, if he could just kind of sort out what he's come for. How embarrassing. The legs, Jesus. And of course, Jesus is the one who's looking closest at this man. He's looking much more closely at this man than anyone else is. He looks deep beyond the smoke, beyond the legs. That's not the real fire. He looks to his heart. He looks to his soul and the real rescue that he needs. And that's why he's saying over this man's life, and he's saying to you as you look up at him and saying, can you sort this stuff? He's saying, no, no, that's the smoke. And Jesus has come to do something about the fire. Are you watching closely what Jesus is doing here? Are you listening carefully to what he's saying. This is going to be huge through Mark's gospel. And Mark is showing us something already in this story about the fact that people aren't really listening. There was a big hint that Mark drops about the role of the crowd. Did you notice that these guys, yeah, they love Jesus. They've got a faith towards Jesus. They know that he's powerful, and yet they can't even get near Jesus because of the crowd. This crowd's actually blocking people listening to Jesus. Jesus is in the house preaching the word. But who's actually listening to him? Some people can't even get close enough to hear. And the ones who are close enough to hear, they're not really listening. So you can be watching and not really watching. And you can be listening and not really listening. Jesus is preaching the word. What's he preaching? Mark's already told us what his message is. The first thing he said, chapter 1, the kingdom of God is near. That is the rule of God. Our lives are on fire because we rejected the rule of God and we said, we'll rule ourselves. We'll invent other gods. We'll have all sorts of lords. And Jesus is saying, turn around. But who's really listening? You know, the crowd, in the end, there's a lot of roar, there's a lot of activity, there's a lot of excitement around Jesus, but he might as well be the smoke machine in the big concert. No one's actually listening to what he's saying. And those who do pick up on this incredible statement, your sins are forgiven, well, they're not really listening. They're not really watching who's in front of them. So they object. They go, what? 
How does he dare talk like this? He's blaspheming. He's an imposter. No one can forgive sins but God alone. And they're right. Only God can forgive sins. So who is this Jesus? Are you really watching? Are you really listening to what he's claiming about himself? When he says, yeah, I forgive sins. See, these religious leaders don't mind if Jesus just wanders around handing some band-aids and dealing with some smoke here or there. But this claim to be the one at the heart of the universe, the promised Messiah, the rescuer, the king, the one with all the power of God himself to forgive sins, no way. But Jesus presses exactly that question. See, think about what he's saying here. You've got to think a bit. He says to them all, you know, what's easier at this point? As the guy was still lying there, and he said, your sins are forgiven. Everyone's going, well, that's a bit disappointing. We were hoping for something really spectacular, like that he'd get up and walk. And Jesus says, what is more spectacular? He asks the question, what do you think is easier for me? Do you think it's easier for me to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and go for a walk? I mean, I think most of us are thinking, get him to walk. <laughs> like, that, that would be sensational. Jesus is saying, getting this guy to walk is absolutely the easiest thing for me. But what it's going to take to forgive his sins, that is not easy. Fixing this guy's legs is just another day at the office for Jesus the Messiah with power over everything. But what it's going to take to forgive his sins and yours and mine is not just another day at the office. It's a day that's looming. It's a day that's already on the horizon in Mark's Gospel. It's a day that is coming for Jesus to deliver, to make good on his promise to forgive the guy's sins. It's the day of the cross. See, what do you think is easier? Fix his legs? Too easy. Off you go. Fix his heart, his soul? No. Not easy at all. That's going to take an agonizing death on a cross. Are you watching? Are you listening what Jesus is saying? As he says, he's come with all the authority of God to forgive sins. And that is what is up ahead for him to deliver on, to not just be a smoke fighter, to not just deal with the symptoms. He does. He deals with the symptoms. He cares about the guy's legs. And he says, look, okay, get up your mat, take up your mat and walk. And as always in Mark, exactly as Jesus says is what happens. And so the guy gets up and walks out. And what happens next? Everyone's amazed. Everyone's praising God. We've never seen anything like this. And you think we're meant to go, you beauty, everyone's kind of caught on now? I mean, you would be amazed, wouldn't you? You would be praising God. They've seen something incredible, but are they really seeing what it means? It would be amazing if you were there, wouldn't it? See the guy leaping around, this guy who looks like a corpse, the living dead, and now he's jumping around. It would be amazing. And it would be amazing for us if the thing that we look up to Jesus and say, would you do this for me, if he did it for you tonight, tomorrow, you'd be amazed, wouldn't you? You're stressed out of your brains about finances, and tomorrow there's just a whole lot of cash deposited in your bank account. Oh, that's amazing. You wake up tomorrow and your health issue is gone. It's amazing. You wake up tomorrow, your addiction, you're freed. You wake up tomorrow, the relationship issue is sorted. You'd be amazed. 
Jesus is saying there's something to be more amazed about than any of that that he is here to do for you. That he has come to die on a cross to not just deal with the smoke and the symptoms as important as they are, as deeply as we feel them, there's something profoundly broken in our heart, in our soul, beyond broken legs and broken relationships and broken bank accounts, a broken soul, a broken heart that Jesus heals, restores, a fire in our life that he puts out at the cross. Jesus says this is what he wants you to know about him and about yourself. He wants you to know that he is here to rescue you, to rescue the whole world that is on fire. And he's going to do it by fighting fire with fire. And that's often what our firefighters do, isn't it? They have to do a backburn. They fight the fire with fire. Well, here is Jesus on the cross. This is the ultimate moment of fighting fire with fire. The way he puts out the fire in your life and your soul is he takes that fire upon himself. Friends, as Jesus dies on the cross, understand he is feeling there the intense, searing heat of God's righteous anger. The penalty we deserve for rebelling against God's rule, God's kingdom, and going our own way, it falls on Jesus, the one without sin, in the place of us who have sinned. That is the cross. And that is the day when Jesus makes good on the promise, son, your sins are forgiven. And he says to you, your sins are forgiven. This is what it took to make that possible. I mean, I just think of Jesus saying those words to that guy. And everyone going, oh, who, how can he say that? And other people not even listening. And he knows in his heart that as he says those words, it's going to take the agony of the cross to deliver on the promise. And as he makes this guy's legs start to work, that it's not long until Jesus' legs are going to be immobilised. He's going to be paralysed on a cross to set this man's, not just his legs, but his soul free. And yours and mine as well. Do you understand the cross and what Jesus has done there, taking the force of God's wrath upon himself, the full heat upon himself? I don't know if you've ever driven through or walked through an area just after a bushfire's been through it. It's an awesome thing. If you've been in, the, in that situation, you'll know what I'm talking about. We were driving up a few years ago up the Pacific Highway and they just reopened it after a massive fire had been through. And it was incredible. You could still smell the smoke. There was still sort of a low heat uh, coming off. But you see, the reason they'd said it was safe to go through is that, in fact, the safest place to be in a bushfire is where the fire's already been. Once it's burnt right through, it's not going to burn again. And so the safe place is where the fire has burnt. That is the cross of Jesus. That is the cross of Jesus. It is the one place, the one time in history that God's righteous anger on our sin has been given its full expression. And so if you come to the cross of Jesus, you are coming to the safe place where the fire's already burnt. And you should look at the cross with that awesome feeling that you might look around at where a bushfire's just been. And you, know, you think to yourself, if I was here a few hours ago, I'd be done for. You should look at the cross and say, you know, I should be done for. But Jesus took it for me. You see, if you're not in that safe place of the cross, you are in the path of destruction. That's why it's so important 
to listen to what Jesus is saying, to listen as he explains the significance of getting this guy to walk, that there's something much bigger going on. And there's something much bigger about him to understand, to listen to. To listen well to Jesus, you need to hear the echoes of some of the Old Testament prophecies that he's calling to life in this scene in a house. Did you notice how he calls himself the Son of Man? What's that? In chapter 1, he was called the Son of God. But now this funny expression is Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. Let me tell you, that expression, Son of Man, is also a title of incredible authority. It comes from the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, a prophecy of Daniel about this figure who's going to have authority over the entire world, the kingdom of God, you see. At Daniel's vision, he says, In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven, through the clouds of heaven to the presence of God. He approached the Ancient of Days. That's a special name for God. His his days are without number. And he was led into his presence, this human figure, through the clouds, into the presence of God in Daniel's vision. And he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. See, there's those religious leaders saying, no one can forgive sins but God alone. Absolutely. You see, here is one with all the authority of God himself. Jesus, who dies on a cross, rises from the dead, he does go up through the clouds to the presence of God, and he does now reign over all the earth, every nation. He is the ruler. He is the Lord. He has all the authority of God himself, and he can forgive sins. Yes, he can. He can forgive yours and mine. So are you watching what's really going on in this house and how it leads to a cross? which leads to Jesus being the ruler of the whole universe. Are you listening to what he's saying as he says, I'm the son of man, I've got the authority to forgive sins? Are you prepared to follow him as the true Lord? See, all those, sometimes all those things we want Jesus to do for us are because there's other lords ruling our heart, but he's the true Lord who can set us free. That's why he says repent. It's a word that means turn around. Turn from all those things that are ruling your hearts and worrying you and turn to Jesus because he is the one who's here to rescue you. It's not that all the smoke doesn't matter. It's painful, but they're a sign of something deeper that Jesus has come to fix. And so you turn to him, to his cross, to ask for forgiveness, to thank him that he took the penalty for you, to follow him in your life. Friends, if I just leave it there, I haven't given you the whole story Mark has given us. There's one more thing to add. I mean, what we've covered is really important. You've got to follow Jesus. You've got to watch him and listen to him and decide to follow him. If you haven't done that yet, if you're not in that safe place of the cross, there at the foot of the cross saying, wow, I'd be done for without you, thank you, you need to take that step. You need to take that step. But you know, in Mark's Gospel, when you take that step to become a follower of Jesus, he signs you up straight away for getting others to follow as well. You know, even in chapter 1, as he called his first disciples, he says, come, follow me, and I will make you... And he doesn't say, I'll make you a fish. He says, I will make you fishers. I'll make you fish for people. 
may we be happy just to be a fish? Oh, that's cool. Where's the aquarium? Just plonk me in there. This is nice. Thank you. He doesn't say, come follow me and I'll make you keepers of an aquarium. He says, come follow me and I'll make you fishers for people. And so it's not just about, I'm going to follow Jesus. It's, wow, he is the rescuer. Everyone needs to follow him. See, this is where the church so often gets it wrong. Sometimes we're just like that crowd and there's all this noise about something to do with Jesus, but we're not actually being clear that people need him. They need forgiveness of sins from him. The church has been very good at just sort of, in a sense, putting smoke all over the place. We've done this. Sometimes I think of us as being like arsonists. There you go. There's something to go home with. You're an arsonist. I mean, that's a big call, isn't it? I reckon that is about the lowest description of anyone in our society. Somebody commits arson, are you kidding? Bushfires, they terrify us. The destruction, the loss of not just property but life. And here's someone who would go and willingly start a fire, who don't realise how dangerous this fire is. Why would you do that? But friends, if we forget about Jesus' claims and how important it is that people be rescued by him, that forgiveness of sins is the issue, Yes, there's smoke in our lives, but the fire needs to be put out. The real problem. And if we're blasé about that, well, we're as good as the arsonists just setting fires around the place because we've forgotten what matters. Yet we need to help people with the smoke in their lives. We need to help each other with those things we're feeling deeply, the presenting issues in our lives. They matter. They matter to Jesus. He fixes the guy's legs. But what he fixes more than anything is his heart and his soul, and that's what we must do for our friends, for our family, for this community around us. We don't just take shelter in that safe place at the cross, but we say to others, what are you doing over there? Get here where we are. It's safe here in Jesus. That's the message learnt in that house. And that's the message fulfilled at the cross. Jesus is the only way out fire. Please pray with me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Help us as we keep looking at Mark's gospel to really watch closely, listen intently, that we might follow Jesus properly, that we might come to the cross, giving up the thought that we can fight all the smoke in our life and realize that we need to come to the one who does something even greater and puts out the fire. So, Father, teach us what it means to love him, for him to be the son of man, the ruler of the universe, the ruler of our own hearts, the one who's rescued our hearts. Father, teach us what it means to follow him and to invite invite many others to follow him also. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.